Some of you will remember Atlanta 20 years ago this week, and some of you will have become aware in recent days that we are marking an, an anniversary of sorts because it was, it's been 20 years since Rodney King was beaten brutally by the Los Angeles de Police Department, and then the policemen who did it were acquitted uh, by a jury. The officers were caught, who had been caught on videotape, and riots ensued that led to 53 deaths in Los Angeles and smaller riots elsewhere, including one in Atlanta. And on May the 1st, in the midst of those riots in 1992, King, the victim, asked, why can't we all just get along? And it's become almost a punchline uh, in some humor at this point. But today, we're more likely to ask that question with respect to um, differences around religion, perhaps, or politics. But it carries the same recognition that Rodney King had, and that is that we live in a world where we simply see things very differently from one another in many, many respects. Uh, and we disagree on how we should live and what's best for us and what's best for others, and what is moral and what is expected, and so on. The New Yorker, often a great place for truth, had a cartoon that maybe you saw a few months ago of um, it was a man talking to his son very seriously, and, and the wife, the woman, the mother was frostily staring off with her arms folded in the distance, and the man is saying, son, your mother and I uh, are going to separate because I want what's best for the country, and she doesn't. You know? <laughs> I mean, terrible sort of righteousness that goes with these, these differences. We crave civilized conversation, especially in our national life, but we keep running up against different and competing visions of how the world should work. I hope that uh, we, at least here, would agree on some basics. We'd agree that God is love. Someone said to me after 9 o'clock, you came down firmly on the side of love, and that was brave. So, so, uh, but more than that, we largely agree that such love is made manifest in Jesus as self-giving love. The writer of 1 John calls that the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's the kind of love that is at least as much a choice and a decision as it is a feeling. It's effective love. It's the love that sometimes is chosen because it's difficult in spite of the difficulty, and it brings all of creation into right relationship in God. It's the nature of God to be in relation, and that relation is revealed as this effective, expansive, inclusive, generative, fecund love that brings universes of possibility into being. But still, what happens is we wind up disagreeing with one another over what is truly loving in any, any given set of circumstances. It's complicated because it tends to bypass reason. Our responses to how things are supposed to work is really visceral. There are a host of books out at the moment about, about how we are primed to make choices and snap judgments based on intuition I'm thinking of Blink by Malcolm Gladwell, and there's, there's others, but there's one that's come out earlier this year. It's a fascinating book. It's called The Righteous Mind, and it's got a subtitle of Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion, and it's by a man with uh, the, the, the name of Jonathan Haidt, which is spelled, important here, H-A-I-D-T, uh, because it's, about, it's, a, it's not about hate, and it's, he's a professor of psychology at the University of Virginia. And he does uh, experiments with words and snap decisions and flashes things on computer screens. So, so one of them is, 
think about, think about words and whether a word is good or bad, just sort of immediately, you know, words like bacon or, or uh, tulip or diaper. We, you know, very quickly we, we have a sense of response, emotive response to those words. And then he does one which is much more complicated. He wants us to judge the word of the second word when there are two, and the first word sort of primes things. So flower, happiness. We, we know that happiness is basically a good word, or cockroach, lonely. It's pretty easy to say cockroach, that lonely is a bad word, but it gets more complicated when he mixes it up. Love, cancer. <laughs> yeah, cancer's bad. Or hate, sunshine. And he, when he's flashing these very fast, he's proving, in a sense, that we, we are shaped intuitively prior to our rational minds running things. Reason plays a role in our decisions, certainly, but usually it's only after the fact. It's only to justify our instincts. Watch the extraordinary rational contortions that opponents of gay marriage have to undergo when they're trying to make a rational case that this somehow affects that somehow affects traditional or heterosexual couples. Things get really complicated just as much when, when we're absolutely certain that something needs to change, but the society around us doesn't support it. When we know in our hearts something is just plumb wrong or, or something needs to, to happen. Reason is not the driver. That's the point. Reason is not the driver in many of our fundamental decisions about how the world is meant to be. And so our disagreements can become pretty vitriolic when we sense that something fundamental is at stake, even if we can't quite express it rationally. We, 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 we tend to know when there's something at stake, even if we're not sure what it is. Now, Haidt's book is fascinating, and I can't do justice to its many implications in a sermon about love, but he wants us to expand our ability to engage in moral discourse with one another by recognizing there are a variety of moral values that we develop over, that develop over time, and in relation to our circumstance. And then he wants us to band together to accomplish good things without the vitriol that flows from pushing fundamental buttons in us about what's fair and who has power and what is sacred. And what he wants, it seems to me, is people who go to church, really. That's really what he seems to want. And who think about what it means to love and who put their ideas into practice. In fact, he says, we humans have an extraordinary ability to care about things beyond ourselves, to circle around those things with other people and in the process bind ourselves into teams that can pursue larger projects. That's what religion is all about, he says, and with just a few adjustments, it's what politics is about too. See, here we talk about the practice of faith. We talk about choosing to be conscious about orienting ourselves, turning toward what really matters in worship, orienting ourselves and being shaped by what is of ultimate worth. We talk about practices of generosity because we know that we are more free to live courageously and hopefully when we are generous. We talk about practices of prayer and self-denial. And, and increasingly, we're talking about the practice of living into difference, the practice of recognizing, uh, understanding, and even appreciating difference. There's a man... And, there's, and the question is, where do we do that? How do we live into difference? And the answer is, we tend to do it when we start sharing the deep stories that make us who we are. We start sharing uh, what really makes us tick. And when we find ourselves in disagreement, sharing what, what seems to be at stake for us and hearing someone else's story and then offering our own is part of what has to happen 
if we're going to be able to converse across difference. It might happen in a Bible study, or it might happen in a foreign situation for us, like working at the Midtown Assistance Center, or those of you who are friends with many of our refugee friends who are here today know what it's like talking across the differences where we've got Hindus and Muslims and Buddhists in our midst, and, and how we negotiate those fundamental different cultural things without becoming imperialist. So some of us go to Tanzania or Brazil, and I still think about, I still think about those women who come out sort of on their knees with the plastic bowl and the soap so that those who are going to eat, which is men and honorary men, namely American women, can, can, uh, can wash their hands uh, before the meal, and then they sort of disappear into the kitchen. And I think about what power could be unleashed in those communities if they could somehow loosen up on the on the really pretty tight gender roles they have. And yet at the same time, after we listen and talk, it becomes clear that those gender roles are part of what binds the community and makes it strong so that it can withstand the challenges that come pretty regularly. Every couple of years, there's a famine or there's a drought in most of these little villages. And the community has to be really tight and really work with each other. And part of how they keep it tight is these really specific roles. So I I don't think it's my business to go and say, hey, chaps, you need to be more like me. Um, and yet at the same time, perhaps our visits here and there and our long-term relationship, who knows what can happen through friendship, through the sharing of really important, deep stories. I'm glad I live here and don't need to impose my values. But it's important stuff. There's a man in our church called Titus Pressler, who's an authority on world religion and uh, world Christianity. And he's written a book called Going Global with God. And what he suggests is that mission is really mission into difference. At home or abroad, the practice of mission involves hearing the deep stories that another has to tell and engaging the conversation around the fundamental concerns that come up out of that story with what's at stake. And that's very different than saying, I won't watch Fox News or I hate people who do CNN, or whatever it is, sort of throwing bombs at each other. A liberal might talk about concern for victims and equal opportunity, while a conservative might respond by talking about personal responsibility and fairness being less about equality and more about proportionality. Surely there is common ground to be found in a country where the extremes seem to be moving further apart, where Congress is less a place for Congress and deliberation and more a place that looks like for tribal warfare. And in fact, I'm like Rodney King. I'm saying, can't we all just get along? And the answer for people of faith is yes. Yes, we can. And yes, we must, because we know something about love. And we know something about how costly love is. And we know something about God's love for us. And we know something about how that is liberating. And so, yes, we can say yes as long as people of faith practice love and become a leaven in the world. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. We love because first God loved us. The commandment we have from God is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. And so in a brief time of silence for prayer, I invite you to begin the work of identifying where you practice mission, where you are conscious about engaging difference in ways that will allow you to hear 
the deep narratives of others and to share your own. And if you can't identify some such place in your life, I encourage you to ask God to lead you for your own sake and for the sake of the world into such a place. In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray. We love because first God loved us.